Set yourself a New Year goal, they said. It'll be fun. <sighs> Perhaps swimming in the Irish Sea wasn't such a good idea. Set a more achievable goal, like taking control of your finances with personalised money insights in the Bank of Ireland app. It'll help keep track of your spending, like changes to bills, or you might have too many subscriptions. See your tailored money insights, because your financial well-being is our priority. Bank of Ireland. Begin. Bank of Ireland is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Terms and conditions apply. Great. There goes my towel. The Left Wing, brought to you by Bank of Ireland, a proud sponsor of Irish Rugby. Never stop competing. This is an Irish independent podcast. If they picked a 7-1, I would be crashing down 10's channel and I would be trying, like, I, not you wouldn't be trying to injure someone, but you would make sure you're bloody physical with, every, you know, with some of the smaller guys on their team. Uh, some of their wingers, I'll be putting high balls up, and I'll be, ma- I'll be, I'll be having calls to make sure I have, you know, lots of guys putting pressure on them, very, you know, being extremely physical uh, with them, just in case there was an opportunity for for someone to ha- to go down with an injury or something like that, and, and really try and upset them, just as they would use it as an attacking weapon. You can use it against them too. Hello and welcome to the left wing. Well, the Ireland squad has been named. The warm-up games have wrapped and the squad will fly to their base in tour on Thursday. The World Cup is just around the corner. Well, joining me to discuss the closing of the long build-up and look into our World Cup future are Luke Fitzgerald and Jonathan Bradley. Luke, with Ireland, where exactly are your confidence levels, your anxiety levels, your fears levels around Ireland and their chances going into this 10th edition of the World Cup. Yeah, there are all the emotions there, Sinead, and, and certainly feeling it now. Um, look, I think I'm kind of excited for them. Um, look, there was the disappointment with, with Keane Healy, which has obviously been discussed, dis- discussed quite widely. Uh, I know they're hoping that there might be a situation where he could possibly be back later in the competition, say if there was an injury of some sort. But at this point, it looks like he's missed out very, very disappointing for him but in terms of the rest of the squad I think there weren't too many surprises um, you know I, I think um, still maybe sweating on a few injuries such as Sheehan etc but overall I think the squad is in a very good place I think that was a nice little reminder against uh, Samoa as to where the team is and maybe where there might be challenges for this team particularly coming up the, against the likes of obviously a South Africa which I know we go on to discuss their performance in the weekend um, but also possibly a France on the horizon if you, uh, you know, depending on what happens in their group, of course. But you, you'd expect, I think, at this point that they, you know, having looked at that South Africa match, that they'll probably top their group, I think. Um, and, you know, if, if we were to, you know, if we were to come up against them in that quarterfinal, um, you know, that was Samoa match. Is, is, it was very, very timely reminder of maybe some, some things that Ireland might need to keep an eye on or, or might need to work on. Um, you know, particularly if the weather conditions are bad as well against a heavy pack. So uh, really good place overall to, to to tie up a lot of jumbled thoughts there, Sinead. But, um, you know, good good team, uh, good age profile, some key guys coming back in, um, coaching staff that I think understand where the team is with some, st- with some stuff still to iron out, particularly around line out and things like that, but in a good place. Okay, well, that's good to hear, Luke. Um, Jonathan, I don't know for me, I don't know whether it's kind of the ghost of World Cups past, but... 
That statement went by South Africa over New Zealand. The loss of Keane Healy, as Luke mentioned, it's left me with the feeling that Ireland have a bit of catch-up to do. Obviously, the rider here is that South Africa face Scotland for, first up on Sunday week. And of course, France kick off the tournament against New Zealand. So those teams need to be further down the track than Ireland. Um, but how are you feeling? Are you as positive as Luke sounds there? Yeah, pretty much. Like, I think it was a a bold thing of Ireland to do to have a game in Bayonne. I think it's just brought memories of 2007 back for everyone and everyone seems to have just been on edge ever since. It's just uh, <laughs> bringing back all that scar tissue. But I think whenever you look at the warm-ups as a whole, I don't think Ireland have particularly hit their straps. But we've seen this before from this Ireland team whenever they have made those changes. They have lacked rhythm. You know, we saw it against Italy in the Six Nations We've seen it in this sort of middle autumn international in years gone by. But what we do know about this Ireland team is whenever they have their 23, as it were, able to be selected for a match day squad, more often than not in the last really two years, they've got it right. So we haven't seen that first choice 23 yet. We don't really even know when we'll see it. It probably won't be against Romania because, as you say, Sinead Ireland have the the softest of soft launches to this World Cup. They've got pretty much the worst team in the tournament up first. So they don't have to be there. You know, South Africa are coming out of a rugby championship and then have had these games against New Zealand. But they have Scotland up first. That's a big game. A lot of people, I do feel, are still overlooking Scotland. There is a real sort of, essentially... The ah, lads in Scotland, they're going to do what Scotland do. But, they, you know, they're fifth in the world for a reason. It's because of the results that they've had. So that's a live match for South Africa right off the bat. That's a very important match um, on the pool. Like everyone's talking about Ireland and South Africa, but it's Ireland, South Africa and Scotland. So Ireland can build into this. Um, obviously, Saxon to come back as well. Whereas other teams don't have that luxury. Like, I can't remember a first weekend of a World Cup that has had so many potentially defining fixtures, and Ireland aren't included in that. Yeah, no, very true. Um, Luke, you mentioned there, obviously, the uh, Andy Farrell named to squad 18 forwards, 15 backs. No surprises, obviously, but so incredibly unfortunate uh, for Keane Healy. Um, in the press conference on Sunday, Andy Farrell referenced what happened to him, you know, 10 years ago when he got injured in the Lions warm-up game and he had to return home. And not that anyone was taking him for granted, but what he brings and brought to Ireland feels even more profound now with the news that he ruled out, you know, his versatility. We know he can play right across that front row. Uh, his experience, he spoke recently about being an energiser for the squad. And you've known him a long time, Luke, um, so horribly cruel for him personally, first of all, and such a loss for the squad as well. Yeah, I think so. He's similar. He's kind of in the Keith Earls mold as well and that he's, you know, really, really well liked. Like, I really haven't come across anyone who doesn't like, doesn't like him. You know, he's such an interesting character as well. As I've kind of said it a few times, but there's not a hobby that the man doesn't have. Um, he's uh, He's great fun to be around. I think he's really like a great trainer as well. He's really worked on that and taught a lot about how to get his body in, in, in brilliant condition. Um, so he'll be a loss on a, on a number of fronts, I think. Um, but it's a big opportunity now for for some of the younger guys, um, you know, to to make an impression. Obviously, some of the older guys too, and Kilcoyne, um, to, to, to make a bit of a, an, an impact there as well. Um, so, um, yeah, look, I, I think the squad will... will um, 
will move on from it pretty quickly. They'll have to refocus the minds. Uh, I know there was, you know, the, the press conference was a little bit downbeat with that news obviously having to be broken there, uh, and, you know, and, and dashing someone's dreams. But I, I think they'll move on quickly now. Once they get on that plane, it'll be all eyes focused and he is a loss. But there's an opportunity for someone to step up. And they like to say a kill coin who maybe might have been may not have been on that plane. He's great fun to be around. He'd be a good guy to have on tour as well. So, um, you know, there is big personalities still in there and he's very experienced and, and, and I thought he finished the season playing quite well as well. So, um, yeah, you, you lose out in a brilliant player, but there's lots of good guys coming in and, um, yeah, I, I, I'm still bullish on this on this Irish team. I think they're, mm-hmm. look, that quarterfinal is still a massive, massive ask and you do miss someone like Healy, but I think there's plenty of quality there and as Jonathan has said, they get an opportunity to play their way in and maybe see a few of these guys against, you know, some of the in some of the initial matches in the pool stages. So these guys don't come in too cold to the setup. So maybe they that twenty three might look a little bit different than maybe that first choice twenty three. Um, but I think you know, particularly when you come to that loose head slot, some of those guys will have had some game time with the the, the other twenty two. We think are probably starting regularly and you know in an Irish jersey. Yeah, of course. And Jerry Lockman finished really well for Munster and started for them for their big URC games. Um, David Coyne in there as well, obviously. But does it, you know, Andrew Porter's presence in the squad now, does it make it all the more precious uh, for him not to get injured? He is a world-class player, so will almost even more be asked of him now, um, even, for example, playing more minutes in games like the Springboks game. I mean, do we think that Andy Porter is probably the most important player in Ireland's squad now? I think you could definitely mm. make the case that he is. Uh, the interesting thing, Sinead, is like I was looking at this the other day after the Kane Healy news. And if you go back through the Grand Slam, you go back through the autumn and back to the New Zealand series, so that's a series of 10 test matches, essentially. Like Andy Porter was averaging seven over 72 minutes through those tests. So Ireland were already hugely reliant on Andrew Porter. And that's only going to be more so now if we have that, I suppose, drop-off. It's no disrespect to the guys that are there, but Kane Healy in those, even if it was only eight to ten minutes a game, was fulfilling an important role in um, locking down that scrum. But I think you could make the argument that Ireland were already massively reliant on Andrew Porter, but now it's it's more so. I think if one player, would, if Ireland could avoid one player getting injured through this tournament, I think you can really make the case that it's Andrew Porter. Any issues with the other, uh, with the rest of the selection in the squad, Luke? Obviously, the wing positions, Keith Earls. I could not see a world in which Andy Farrell did not select Keith, especially after that try, obviously, that he scored against England. Um, what, what do you think? Was he right there, you know, headed Jacob Stockdale? Yeah, look, the back three is a really interesting one. Um to, to answer that one directly on the Earls thing, look, I, I just think he's a better player than Stockdale. Uh, we saw some glimpses of what Stockdale's good at, but I think the my concerns around his game kind of remain. I, I, I think, you know, defensively, I just still think there's, you know, Keith, I think, you know, is, isn't the big guy either, you know, and we saw that with that missed tackle, um, you know, as well, like he had, you know, against Italy. So there is some concerns around that with him in, in terms of the size, but generally speaking, he doesn't make bad decisions there. Whereas I think with Stockdale, you get a little bit of that. And I think Earl's just ha- is, is a bit more rounded as well. He's a good guy to have in your squad is, and he can come in there, the centers, he's a bit more of a ball player and a kind of, I think maybe a team player in attack, even though, you know, Stockdale does have, brilliant physical attributes that size we saw in the air when he gets his mind right um you know uh, you know he obviously has good top end pace as well and it was a lovely chip for i think that saved ireland in in, in that Samoa game but um i just think keith is a better player for me people might have different opinions on that 
Um, the stuff that you bring into the squad, it's important too as well. But I think he's a better fit for this Irish team. Um, so very unfortunate for, for Stockdale, who looked like he's coming back into form. Uh, hopefully he's a big season with Ulster and, and we see him kind of back competing for that slot. But I think he has a, a bit to go in his game yet to get back in that Irish team. Um, in terms of the, the the back three in a broader context, just to maybe talk about something that I'm keen to talk on. Mm. Um, you know, we talk about Porter, but like I, I think Keenan is is just as important to this Irish team. I, I That is an area I know. I think maybe Matt Hansen could be good in there, but I still think there's a big, big difference if we lose Keenan from this team. So, What about Jimmy O'Brien? Jimmy O'Brien was good on the weekend, but I think you see that size, uh, you know, Sinead. I think that's a, that's an important thing. I mean, look, it was very, very difficult conditions, and maybe mm-hmm. I'm being a little bit harsh. Um, you know, any fullback may have struggled in those conditions. And I actually thought Samoa targeted it really, really well, and their kick chase was very good. They were very, very physical there. So it was a difficult day at the office for him, but I think Keenan would have made a better fit, quite a bit better of a fist to that. Um, and that area is some somewhere else where I think, you know, if we lose Keenan, he he brings such a big amount to this Irish team as well, Sinead. So um, just maybe worth mentioning that. I think the wing slots, both of those guys are on fire at the moment, playing brilliant rugby. Um, they're such an important uh, tool uh, for this Irish team to unlock space. Um, I think there's a great appreciation of space in this Irish team. They spread the pitch really well, as opposed to, say, in England, who are really struggling with that at the moment. But how they get the ball to those wide areas and to you know spaces in the defensive line those two wingers. It's a real strength for that team alongside Keenan, I think. And look, Jimmy O'Brien, but that high ball thing is an issue that I think Ireland will say, mm, particularly against South Africa, might need to have a look at that and maybe refocus the minds there. That You know, you, you just can't be loose against big teams there, you know? Yeah, no, very true. And it's only actually when uh, Keenan makes a mistake that you realise how... It's okay when he does yeah. it once in every while because you realise he is so safe. Would you agree with that, Jonathan, with Luke's uh, viewpoint there? Yeah, I think that's a good point, actually. Um, if you look at even just how much Keenan's played as well, like, um, you know, obviously O'Brien's come in and played fullback a few times, but in the Six Nations two years ago, you know, they were experimenting with Mike Laurie there. It's not that long ago that they were expecting or experimenting with Jacob Stockdale and even Robbie Henshaw there for a wee stint. So it has been a sort of problem position, I suppose, who is that backup fullback? And Keenan's played so well in so many tests that it hasn't really become an issue yet because he's uh, been so reliable in terms of his availability, but also, as you say, the fact that he doesn't seem to have a bad game. But yeah, if he were to go down, that would that would be a big issue as well in what is strength of this Irish team and has looked really on song in those warm-up games as a, as a unit, the three of them. Yeah, yeah, and definitely against England there as well. Uh, so 18 players will be playing at, at a World Cup for the first time. And uh, one of those guys, and he was spoken about in the build-up to the announcement as possibly, you know, being on the periphery was Stuart McCloskey-Jonathan. Um, I completely agree with his inclusion because I think he's the capability to have a greater impact in his specialised position than a player with more versatility in another area. But, you know, what a story it's been for McCluskey. You know, made his debut in 2016, didn't make the 2019 World Cup, brought back in, impressed last November. And I really liked his manifesto. Was it like earlier last month when he kind of just reminded everyone, you know, he started seven of the last nine or ten games and uh, they won them all. But Farrell has shown his faith in him. And you can only just imagine, Johnson, how much um, McCloskey is now, you know, will want to repay that faith that Farrell has shown in him at this World Cup. Absolutely, because 
you know, it's not even that he didn't make the 2019 World Cup. He didn't even make Joe Schmidt's wider panel for that. Mm. So that's somebody who's so key for Ulster, essentially being told that four years ago, the national coach didn't view him as one of the 50 best rugby players in Ireland. So to go from that to what he's had over the last 12 months, as you say, starting eight of the last 11 tests, winning all of them. And for so many years, you know, he was playing against the likes of America. He was playing against Fiji in those sort of rotated autumn internationals. But now, you know, he's had the Six Nations experience. He's played against the Springboks. And I like I'm pleased for him because he had to keep plugging away for so long, you know, going down to Carden House, coming back without playing, all sort of seemingly at odds with um, just how important he was for a succession of Ulster coaches, really. And, yeah, I think what you say is spot on. It's like Andy Farrell essentially seems to have waited up and said that what is really a third specialist 12 he sees as being of more use than what would be a sixth back rower, even though, I suppose, if you were to weigh it up on paper, like you're not going to get too many teams feeling that they need three players that can play 12. But um, I suppose he's been allowed to do that really by the fact that um, you know, having Baird in the squad, having Byrne in the squad, even Ian Henderson at a push. You know, Ian Henderson played back row this year for Ulster. So he has that flexibility elsewhere that I suppose has allowed him to have that luxury of an extra midfielder. Do you agree, Luke? Yeah. I do. I'm a huge McCluskey fan. You know, I think there's always been some brilliant competition there in that 12 slot, which obviously complicates things uh, in terms of Aki. I mean, he's an excellent mm-hmm. rugby player. Um, you know, obviously Henshaw, but he's had some obviously some some injury. We probably should talk about that. I mean, I hope that injury isn't too serious. I think he's a very important player for this Irish team. Such a brilliant defender. Um, but look back to McCluskey, excellent, excellent player, lovely. Like I mean, I believe in is the nickname the Banger Bulldozer. I think it is, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but he's far more. Not, uh, he's not too keen on that apparently because it. Uh... <laughs> I think it diminishes him, doesn't it? I think it does because he's actually far more than that. He's a beautiful mm-hmm. passer of the ball, uh, lovely offloader, as we know. Now, I don't think he can do as much of that at international level against the top teams that he does for, for Ulster, say, in the league. He just come up against more physical athletes, I think. Um, but great tool to have in the box. And he is far more than just a big, big player. He's a really got some lovely deft touches. And I think in attack, in defense, when he's on, he is a real thorn in defender side. And I thought he was one of the guys that really shone, I thought, in that um, against South Africa when he was on the pitch. Um, you know, just a big, big man. I've played against myself and I know having played against some very big centers, I've you know, played there a few times myself as kind of a more normal sized player. Um, he's awful to tackle. He's like a big block of concrete as well. Like so, and, and, and he's... I think he can have a, he could have a big impact at this World Cup. Now, I, I still don't think he starts, probably. Mm. Um, but if there is an injury, he's a guy that's worth having. And as Jonathan alluded to, you have the flexibility. You have a lot of kind of these Swiss Army knife-type players. Your Jimmy O'Brien's, your Keith Earls. I think Crowley has a little bit of that in him, too, even if you don't want to use him for that. Because uh, he could end up on the bench for you, covering maybe a back three slot, full back, obviously. Um, as well as maybe one of the centre slots. Because he's a great tackler. Very, really like that part of Crowley's game so important to have at the top level so yeah I, I, I think on, on merit he deserves to be there I think he could have a big impact um, he's a player I've liked for a very very long period of time uh, and just reward for, for lots of hard work in a team in an Ulster team that has underperformed particularly last year you know so he's been a shining light up there 
Yeah, what's he like? Um, I'm sure, Jonathan, you've interviewed him a number of times. What's what's Stuart like? I actually think he's a really good interviewee because even when we talk about the depth, you know, I think if you were to ask your sort of standard rugby player about something like that, they wouldn't really go into specifics. Whereas if you're talking to Stu about it, he'll very much say, well, are you going to drop Bundy? Are you going to drop Robbie? Are you going to drop Ringer? No, those are all world-class players. So he's he's always very upfront in interviews. He's very honest. I think even, you know, the interview that he gave in the mix zone, even um, after the Italy warm-up, where he was sort of going into the details of whether you would or wouldn't take a fourth centre and yeah. saying that he's looked at past squads and maybe, there, you know, whether there has or hasn't been the fourth centre. So I think he's, he's very open. And I think, um, I really do think he'll, relish this opportunity of a first World Cup at 31, especially when he almost certainly thought that the opportunity was gone because as much as I think he really enjoys working with Andy Farrell and I, he's got huge amount of respect for him, I think that comes across in his interviews, it's easy to forget that Andy Farrell sort of ignored him in the same way that Joe Schmidt did at the start of this cycle. It was only really after that New Zealand um, tour where he'd been left out of the, again, a very large squad. He'd been left out and then got called up late, flew over, basically played that Mari game at, off the plane, essentially, and played really well. And that's a, what got him back in, I suppose. Mm, yeah. Um, Luke, Johnny Sexton was also at the squad announcement press conference on Sunday. And it, it was good to finally hear from him. And I think he dealt with the questions about his ban really well, you know, put his hands up, admitted he was wrong, uh, frustration with the length of the process, but certainly didn't shy away from facing those questions head on, which is which is what he always d- does. And I can only imagine, especially for Keith Earls' 100th cap game and what should have been his final home game too, how trying that must have been for, for Johnny. What do you, what a, kind of effect you think this has had on him you know as you know that band now over he, he's he'll be free to play uh, we don't know will it be against Romania what what game it'll be yet yeah look there's, there's loads of things interestingly enough over the summer they had a bit of a break and, and I was actually I ended up in the same spot as him with my wife and we were we were both with our other halves and um actually got to have a great chat with him in a beer it's been a long time since it was just a random one and um I think he was very political, Sinead. I think... Um, Does he say, do not say anything on the left wing? <laughs> I, I, no, no, no. He never says that to me. No, I'm sure there's nothing there that, look, he's still at, he's the Irish captain. So as you, you know, as you well know, you have to be respectful. I think there was lots of stuff there that was that he told me that I was really surprised at. And I think, look, the, one of the main things he did actually cover head on, the length of the process was very, very frustrating. And I think everyone knew that. And I think we all know that. We were kind of saying, well, geez, this is kind of running quite late into the summer for a player. Um, but look, I think the right result uh, came of it. I think it might be no harm for Johnny anyway to have had the extra little bit of break. Um, one thing I'm, I'm not sure I'm allowed to share. I, I shared it already in the left wing. I just we had a good conversation about how quickly he thinks he can integrate in. He thinks he needs maybe a game and a half, two games. Right. I would say to him, I, I, <laughs> this is what I said to the players. I think you only need one. Like you're playing so long now, <laughs> um, you know that it. You should just. You've seen so many of the situations. Like I remember coming back and playing haven't been out for kind of six months or whatever as a 25-year-old or, you know, kind of serious injuries. You kind of have to relearn a lot of things and all the pictures that you see on the pitch and just getting back into a rhythm. I think he's done it so long now. I think he only needs the one game. So look, I thought he dealt with the questions really well. Very political, as you, as you expect, as a captain. There was nothing that came out of it that, you know, shocked and awed and, re- and brought it up again. I'd say we won't hear about it again now. 
which is a, which is probably how they wanted to play it or he wanted to play it. But he did answer the questions. So uh, look, good. I think he'll come back strong. I think he doesn't need to have any of the warm up games, as I alluded to there. My own opinion. Um, and um, hopefully we see the best version of him signing off, uh, you know, what is, uh, you know, or has been a, a brilliant, brilliant career from a guy who got his start pretty late. I mean, he's going to turn out to be an all-time great in an Irish jersey. So hopefully he finishes in that uh, in, in that way. We all hope he's the guy that leads us to the to the promised land. And, so, um, sorry, go on. Yeah, so you're Andy Farrell. Do you start him against, what way do you start him for those uh, two opening games? Do you start him against Romania or Tonga or what way would you call it? Probably try and, I had a, a thought on that one. I wonder, do you, do you try and bring him on for maybe 30 minutes of the Romanian game? Um, or do you start him? I'm not too mm. sure how, how you figure that. It might be nice to bring him into a team that's kind of, uh, you know, might be, like you might be running away with a game you hope if you play well um, at that stage. They might be tired um, you know, he might get to just run the legs through, feel a little bit of contact. I don't think they'll do that, by the way. I think what they'll do is they'll start him. I mean, look, you do run the risk of if you sit him on the bench um, and someone gets injured after five minutes and he has to go way longer than you than, than you have kind of anticipated. You've no control over that. So I think they'll probably start him. But I did have a thought about maybe do you bring him on against tiring legs and just kind of softly introduce him that way. Uh, as I said, I don't think he needs that much game time to get right up to speed, Sinead. So... Yeah, that'll be an intro. I wonder how they thought that. I thought of of doing that. Um, might be a nicer introduction to him. But look, we wait and see. I they probably start him. I'd say. Yeah, Jonathan. Do they not need to do that? Do they not need a game where they need to start all their frontliners before, obviously, South Africa? I think they probably do that against Tonga, and yeah. I think we probably see a lot of those guys in basically twenty four to thirty three playing against Romania. Sort of as we've alluded to, they're. Um, really struggling going into this tournament. And that's why I think you might be tempted to start Sexton in that game, just because I think the Romania game has a, there's a real possibility that's going to get very, very loose in the second half. And I think you might benefit more from having Sexton at the start where it'll feel more like a proper test match than it might finish. Um, And then essentially just get him the run against Tonga with the hope being, I suppose that, you've wrapped up that game relatively early as well. I think you're probably looking at getting him somewhere in the region of 80 to 100 minutes across those two games, but mm. he would be the frontliner that I would probably expect to see start both of those. Well, one of the issues going into the World Cup uh, still remains the the problems at the line-out, Jonathan. We were talking about this just before we started the, this podcast. You know, they lost five line-outs from nine in the first half against uh, Samoa in their win over them. I mean, one of Ireland's greatest strengths you know, is looking like a weakness at the moment. There was that great line out steal by James Ryan at the end of that game in Bayonne. What is going on here? And again, Paul O'Connell has built up so much trust in all of us that, we, you know, we kind of think, yeah, they're going to get it right on the night. But uh, is it something that we assume, assume will happen? Or what, what are the issues here? Or is it just because the frontliners are not, you know, starting together? Yeah, I mean, there has been an awful lot of changes. I think Tom Stewart was in a very difficult position on uh, Saturday and obviously having already been told that he wasn't going to be part of the squad to be making your first international start under those circumstances can't have been easy for him. And I think you probably saw from the performance that it obviously wasn't easy for him. Um, Leo McFarlane, I thought, was great for uh, uh, Samoa. He had a huge impact on Ireland's lineup. But the worry, I suppose, is the fact that this has been an issue that's now I've been going on for weeks, almost regardless of the personnel. Like I understand mm-hmm. that, yes, Rob Herring came on and 
Jane Dryan came on and things looked an awful lot better. But it, other than that, it hasn't really seemed to matter who's been the hooker, who's been the line-out caller. There's been issues there. So, yeah, as you say, like we all sort of hold Paul O'Connell up as uh, a line-out guru, which obviously he is, but uh, there's definite huge amounts of work to do before uh, things get serious because it is a big part of Ireland's game. That launch off the line-out is a huge, huge element of how they attack what do you think, Luke? Are you worried? No, I'm not. I, do you know what I did think? I, I felt like they didn't simplify um, in very, very difficult conditions and clearly, uh, you know, their, their timing was off or something. I, I would wonder about some of the calling. You know, I thought they had one or two good ones to two. No one wants to have that ball, but I wonder should they be a little bit more creative or try and at least have a few options where they go, do you know what? Particularly against, I'm thinking really against a South African nine out who carry, I know they carry their their six as a seven in terms of their team number, but whoever's in that six slot is generally a pretty big guy too. And they're just, you know, a pack full of tall guys who are big lifters and they've got tall players also. So they'll cause you problems regardless of how well they read your line at or time it. Um, So I'd love to see them maybe having a few more options at two and maybe saying, you know what, if we're having a bad day at the office, let's just get our hands on the ball. Because I thought, Crowley and also Byrne when they come on were so aggressive with their kick into touch it was great to see put Ireland in some really really brilliant positions Sinead and I was just thinking you know what Ireland are actually even if they're, the, the creativity is brilliant and you need to have ball in good positions in the line so it's five or six or at the, whatever it is at the tail you, you love to have that ball and give you the options to play a bit more aggressively do you say, well, do you know what, if things aren't going well, let's have one or two little things at the front of the line where we say, do you know what, let's just get our hands on the ball. We've put ourselves in a good position. Johnny will do that as well. He's very aggressive with his touch finding. We're in a good position on the pitch. We are still a very good team in broken play, which, you know, Ireland has become that team, similar to in New Zealand. Um, let's just get our hands on the ball. And if we have to just, you know, restart the game from there with the ball in our hands, let's just go ahead and do that. Um, it's not a great way of thinking. It's maybe a little bit negative, but I, that was something that I did spot on the weekend where I said, you know what, against a big pack, if there's bad conditions, let's just have a bailout plan where we have our, get our hands on the ball, get the confidence up again um, so we can start throwing that. I didn't think they did that really mm. well, Sinead. Now, they don't want to do that, but mm. if we're in a situation in a quarterfinal, let's just get our hands on the bloody ball. So, so that was something that maybe I thought might be, might be a useful line of thinking for them we hope they just get it right. I'm sure they're going to work very hard on that. But if after 30 minutes it's not, let's have the ball, please. Yeah, and Jonathan just mentioned there as well, Luke, about how the likes of Stuart uh, Stockdale would have known before the game, apparently by all accounts, that they weren't in uh, the World Cup squad. Uh, from a former player's uh, point of view, how much of a melter would that have been, you know, to find out before the game? Was that a strange or were we surprised I, by geez, that? I forgot. I, do you know what? It's funny. That's only dawned on me now that you've asked me that question there now. Because I remember, I obviously read that Andy Farr was going to do that. I hadn't thought about that. Um, yeah, God, I hope he didn't do that. That's a disaster. <laughs> That'd be awful. I, I know Stuart, but like, I think I would have thought Stockdale might have been a live discussion. So, mm. God, yeah, no, I'd, I'd, lo- I'd love to actually ask him the question and see, because that'd be a terrible way to go out in the pitch. And it may be, look, you have to try and regather yourself mentally, but it would have been, that would for, particularly for Stockdale, that was a very, very tight call with him and Earls, I think. And I know Farrell does like him, so he, he would have been aware of that. Um, and to have had that information before he went on the pitch. Um, now, sorry, he was actually a late call-in, wasn't he? Instead of Earl's, yeah. my apologies. <laughs> sorry, sorry. So, yeah, no, look, look, that might have still been difficult. You have to have your own standards and you have to think that, look, even if Earl's is carrying an injury uh, and it's only a small one, that could get worse over the course of, of, of that. So maybe he, you know, and I actually thought he played reasonably well 
um, with the, with the kind of some of the scraps that he did get. Obviously, he had that big impact with the chip over the top. Yeah, so, for Conor Murray's try, yeah. Well, but that would have been bloody difficult. You would have had to have gone into yourself and said, you look, I have my personal standards here. Every time I pull on a jersey as a professional rugby player, you know, I just try and hit those standards. But that would be bloody difficult to do, Menti. I can tell you that. Um, haven't, I haven't never experienced that, to be honest with you. So South Africa dished out a record win to New Zealand at Twickenham last Friday night, 35 points to seven. I'm not sure what sent out the Shivers more, Jonathan, the manner of that record defeat for New Zealand, although it was 14 players with Scott Barrett sent to the sin bin twice, or the sight of those seven forwards coming off the bench um, a few minutes into the second half. It all very much came with the klaxon of we are coming for you and we are going to do, we are going to do everything to defend our World Cup. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was like a fascinating innovation, really, if you like. I know it was obviously caused by Willie Leary pulling out um, just on the eve of the game. But if you think about what South Africa can make their point of difference, and it's the fact that they can just keep rolling off world-class loose forward after world-class loose forward. So to sort of double down on that and go with uh, seven, I'd be really, really interested to see whether they're going to do it again in a big game. There's obviously so much risk to it. Like we saw, you know, even in a 6-2 split, whenever France did that last year, and, you know, they ended up essentially negating DuPont's influence on the game because they had to move him into 10. So, like, you have to have, obviously, a back that can cover nearly everywhere um, to try and do that sort of seven split. But the impact that it had and the impact that it must have on the opposition, if you think about you know, yourself as a tiring forward and you look over and there's seven forwards of that quality just about to come on and, you know, the opposition are essentially replacing virtually their entire pack. Like, it must be so demoralising. Yeah, our colleague uh, Rory O'Connor was writing about their 7-1 split on the bench this morning and he wrote that he has it on good authority that even though it was a late injury to Willie LaRue, that... um, with that, to open this opportunity, that this has been something South Africa have been working on with the game against Ireland on the 23rd of September in mind. Um, That is something, whatever if they don't use it or not, Luke, in the game against Ireland, it is certainly something now that opposition teams are going to be thinking about. (laughs) No choice. Um, it's a, a big problem metaphorically and uh, figuratively to, to have to deal with, isn't it? So, um, yeah, look, uh, it's it's an interesting one. I saw there was a few people thinking that it's kind of a, an abuse of the rules. Um, I don't think it's that. Look, mm. I think you, you play, the, the, the bench has long been, um, you know, somewhere where, you know, it's it, the days of it being just there to replace people and to make sure there's specialist people on the, on, on the, on the pitch to cover specialist positions. Those days are long gone, I think. Um, it's very much a tactical place. You saw, you know, Eddie Jones obviously, you know, had a, had an interesting name for his bench, and um, we're, you know, we're we're always talking about the the composition of the bench. It's become a really important component of uh, of of the team over over recent times. Um, so uh, we're obviously, I mean, one of the main talking points for our whole squad was a guy was Keen Healy, who's obviously not going to be starting. He was never going to be starting for Ireland ahead of Andrew Porter, but he's a key guy. So your bench, I think, is a, is a very tactical thing. Um, so I don't have a problem with them doing it. I think they won't because I think it's too big a risk. Like, I would be very much... If they picked a 7-1, I would be crashing down 10's channel and I would be trying, to, like, I, not you wouldn't be trying to injure someone, but you would make sure you're bloody physical with, every, you know, with some of the smaller guys on their team uh, some of their wingers, I'll be putting high balls up, and I'll be make, I'll be, I'll be having calls to make sure I have 
you know, lots of guys putting pressure on them, very, you know, being extremely physical uh, with them, just in case there was an opportunity for for someone to ha- to go down with an injury or something like that, and, and really try and upset them, just as they would use it as an attacking weapon. You can use it against them too. So mm-hmm. um, it's very interesting, certainly something that you think about. I think if you were looking at Ireland over the weekend against Samoa, there's no doubt in my mind they'll definitely go with a 6-2 split against Ireland to try and win that one. And I would be very, if it, if it was France and we get to a quarterfinal, I would say they will definitely go with a 6-2 split as well against Ireland. Um, they will have been, that game in particular is is something that, you know, if you look at Ireland against France, and I'm sure South Africa will have looked closely against that at, at that match, Ireland want the ball and play for a long period of time. If you give them that, they're very much like in New Zealand. They will shred you up and it really suits the, the, the four pack that Ireland have. They can mix it physically more than a Scotland, I think. But they want the game to be fast. They've got ball players. They've got guys who are top of the ground runners. Your Doris's, your Van der Fleers, you know, even Dyke Furlong, our tight end prop is great, is a great runner too. So we want that type of game. South Africa will want the other type. Um, I think it's too big a risk, but it is mm. interesting that they put it out. And interesting to hear Rory O'Connor, our colleagues, take on that one, that hot take. So um, I wonder, will there be another late injury pullout and possibly have to go with the 7-1 split against Ireland. We wait and see on that one. Yeah, Jonathan, there has been a bit of blowback to the 7-1 split. But, you know, I think his team should be allowed to use the bench whichever way they want. Absolutely. Like, you know, it's essentially, it's an innovation. And there's nothing to say that what has become the established thought has to be what we continue to do. You know, Mm. people used to do the high jump, diving head first over the bar. Like, people can come up with new ways to do things better ways to do things the blowback i think is going to be interesting because i think it's it's focused on the wrong thing i think it's almost coming across as accusatory of south africa or somehow gaming the system which they're obviously not but i do wonder if it will reignite the debate about how many subs you should be allowed to make over a game and whether you know from the health and safety element if having eight subs per game mm-hmm is conducive to that because it probably isn't. But it's nothing to do with what South Africa are doing. Like that's something that's been talked about for a long time in the game. If you could make the game potentially safer by having less fresh players, whether they're forwards or backs coming into it. And I think people will start talking about that again off the back of this. But the idea that South Africa um, have somehow done something wrong here, like they're free to do whatever they want because they're the ones absorbing the risk. Like they essentially have to have one player covering every position in the back line. Like, it's very, very hard to do. You think about the amount of backs that can actually play even just 9 and 10. And look at South Africa's squad anyway, where they only really have one ten in it. Mm. Yeah, no, and their 20-year-old, Keanu Moody, I mean, my God, he was sensational. His offloads, his sidesteps, I know his try was chalked off, but um, they do look to be coming good at just the right time. What about New Zealand, Luke? I mean, the signs were there that they had found their groove in the rugby championship. You know, think back to their 35-20 win over South Africa in Auckland earlier this summer. Uh, You know, Joe Schmidt's Ireland teams were renowned for their excellent discipline, but then Barrett got those, those two yellow cards. But is this, was that performance... Uh, a blip, do you think, by New Zealand? I, I think it is a blip, yeah. Look, I, I think they'll still have a big challenge against France. France look like they're in great form, I think. Uh, well, not unbelievable form, but that was obviously a very impressive match on the weekend for mm. them. So, um, And on home turf, you think they'll be bloody hard to turn over. The good thing for them is it probably doesn't really matter that much in their group. And they get to that quarterfinal having had a few chances and had played against a few big teams 
um, you know, to to iron out any of the kind of kinks that they have. Um, I think they look a far better proposition than they did uh, than you know in that uh, Irish summer tour. I think they've come on a lot. I'm on the record as saying I think. I hope I'm not wrong on this <laughs> after that after the weekend's match. But I'm on the record as saying I think I I just hold Joe Schmidt up in such high esteem. I was always worried of him heading back to New Zealand and coaching a New Zealand team. Um, and I think it looks like some of the stuff I didn't like. I didn't like some of the high balls in the in the 22. But generally speaking, I think he's really tidied up their ball handling. I think they look a far more compact team. I think I like their kicking strategy. New Zealand teams. While they were always, you know, with the Dan Carters and this, that, I think the, the New Zealand team that we think of that was kind of utterly dominant um, from the mid noughties really to the, well, probably the late noughties really all the way through um, to, to the last World Cup, really obviously they crashed out against England. But that, those brilliant New Zealand teams, they always kicked the ball brilliantly, Sinead. It mm. was, you, you think of them and you think of the brilliant tries, um, you know, all the brilliant interplay between backs and forwards, cutting you up from all over the pitch. Um, they generally actually, Joe Schmidt always had some great stats on it. He used to come in and ask questions and say, okay, which team is the biggest team in world rugby per the stats? And it was always, oh, South Africa. No, actually, Wales were the heaviest team. Which team kicked the ball the most? And you're thinking, oh, England. Is it? Da, da. He was like, actually, New Zealand kicked the ball the most of any team. Mm. So um, that was something that I think they needed to tidy up that kicking game, the catching game. I think they've done that. And the ball handling is way, way better than it was against. Uh, that. Like Ireland were markedly better in the ball handling department, which you'd never thought you'd say against New Zealand team in that summer tour. Mm -hmm. I think they've identified that and cleaned it up. Um, in terms of the discipline, the bar thing was surprising. It was a bit unnecessary as well. I don't think it was actually that dirty a challenge, although I've, I haven't seen all of the um, all of the angles. I'd say that it looked like the, the, the panel thought the same as me. Mm -hmm. just look more like a silly one Sinead to be honest more than anything else which is surprising for a team that has Joe Schmidt in its coaching lineup so um, yeah good to see I think very good from their perspective because he's been a form player that he's a, he's available for selection and it just looked like a silly one so it might be a timely reminder of what they need to focus on mm -hmm. um, what challenges they'll face against the big teams and how they can cope with that and I think they'll be all the better for that that, that drilling they got in the weekend uh, let's get on to England, Jonathan. The World Cup hasn't even started, but it already feels like England are in rescue mission mode uh, after that defeat to an excellent Fiji, who really do seem primed to have a great uh, World Cup. Valid questions are now being asked over whether England will even get out of their group, which includes Argentina, Samoa, Japan, probably maybe not the force they were four years ago. I mean, they've only ever failed to get out of the pool stages once, and uh, that was eight years ago. Yeah, and I think you probably were looking, even maybe two weeks ago, you were probably looking at the pool, looking at some of Japan's results and thinking that would probably save them. And then looking at the other pool on their side of the draw and thinking that they're still more likely to uh, make a semi-final than a lot of much, much better teams on the other side of the draw. But I just think the way that they looked at the weekend and even partly the way that Samoa looked against Ireland, you're sort of looking at it now and thinking it's a real live possibility that they won't get out of the pool. I mean, it's difficult, I think, to see them losing to Argentina and Samoa and Samoa not slipping up elsewhere. Um because, you know, the, even the Samoa-Japan game was a close game during the summer between those two. So 
I still think they'll get out of the pool, but it's not going to be through anything that they really do themselves. Like they need to have a massive, massive look at themselves post this tournament to be building for the next cycle because this, it already to me feels like it's a write-off. Yeah. Um, Luke, before we go, the story emerged over the weekend about former Wales scrum half Reese Webb and the report that he tested positive for human growth hormone last month. And uh, there were reports in France that he requested his B sample be opened at a meeting with the French anti-doping agency yesterday. And he's maintained his innocence. We also got the story that South Africa out of Elton Yanti's confirmed in a statement that he returned an adverse result for clenbuterol. Uh, he confirms he's innocent and has vowed to clear his name. What are your thoughts on on these uh, on these stories? Yeah, look, I think I just think anyone who takes you know any of these kind of growth hormones or any of these kind of ster- steroids, you know, in boxing, in any kind of physical sport, rugby as well, you can really hurt people. Um, so I think it's kind of disgusting, actually. Um, mm. I'm not going to hold back on that one. Anyone who knowingly takes that stuff. And, and gets an edge in sports, um, you know, is, is pretty rotten to the core, I think. Um, so I hope they get to the end of it. Um, you know, it's, uh, or sorry, get to the bottom of it. I think it'll it'll turn ugly, this one, I think, um, given the accusation that's been made. Um, look, you hope that they do, like, I just don't know, if, is there much of an excuse anymore for not knowing what you're putting in your body? Um I'm not sure that there is. No, like, I no. mean, this has been going on for years. Like back in the day when people were in protein supplements and these things were just coming out. And I, I don't think they were kind of like the, 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 the testing was as prevalent and people knew as much about it. I think you could, I'm not sure, but there may have been a few cases where you could say, look, the, the, the people who were supplying these things were trying to get results. It wasn't as well regulated, uh, maybe, but I don't know, like from when I was playing, you knew what was going into your body. You knew what we, what you were allowed to take, what you weren't allowed to take. You would never have cheated out or put other opposition players in da- in jeopardy by juicing yourself up into 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 an unnatural state. So yeah, I wouldn't those... be surprised by it, like, to be honest, because like, you know, you mentioned boxing there and you think about athletics, you think about cycling, like the sports that have doping problems are the sports where you get the most benefit from being bigger and stronger and faster. Like in football, it's never going to give a player a first touch. It's never going to teach a basketball player how to shoot. But in rugby, to me, it seems like the advantages of being bigger, being stronger are so apparent that if rugby doesn't have these cases, then frankly, it would be the only sport in the world where you would get such an advantage from doing it that doesn't have an issue with it. So... I think you could be looking at tip of the iceberg sort of stuff, really. Okay, well, we will see how those investigations go. Uh, Luke and Jonathan, thank you very much for that. So from next week, we'll be bringing you daily editions of The Left Wing. Rory Keane and myself will be on the ground with the Ireland squad in France, keeping you right up to date with everything that's going on. And Will and Luke will give their valuable insights uh, from Dublin. Stay with us every step of the way in this World Cup. But for now, thanks for listening. This is an Irish independent podcast.